It was my birthday last week, and I don't know if our company's social media account was doing this intentionally or not, but a week before that, I received a wonderful present. It came in the form of a simple question put out on Twitter, where we're at The Motley Fool. What investment principles and ideas have you learned from David Gardner? As I read through your responses, not only did I have my own kind of a Mr. Holland's opus emotional reaction, but I started to realize that how you answer that question, what have you learned from me, whether you've been listening for four weeks or for four years, also happens to be a wonderful format for a podcast. This week's podcast, in fact. And so the gift that I got that week becomes a gift I'll try to give out this week, summarizing and sharing what you've learned from David Gardner to help remind listeners old and new of some of the eternal verities of rule-breaking and our rule-breakery ways. So, what have you learned from David Gardner? Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Thanks to Sprout Social for supporting the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. Sprout Social offers businesses an intuitive platform to help build meaningful relationships at scale on social. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com today. And this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Not a fan of being surprised by hidden fees? Well, at TD Ameritrade, they charge just one straightforward price and give you everything you need to trade. No hidden fees, no surprises. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash pricing. Member SIPC. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Yep, it was my birthday last week. Thank you for some of the kind wishes. And as I mentioned at the top, I got a wonderful birthday present when I began to hear what you feel like you've learned from me. Now, I'm a little bit self-conscious entitling this episode, What Have You Learned from David Gardner? Because I'm the first to make jokes, especially about professional athletes who refer to themselves in the third person. Things like, you know, what's ahead for Michael Jordan? And then Michael will say, well, Michael Jordan is thinking a lot about his future, this sort of a thing, right? Often, it seems like the sports journalists kind of set up the athletes to use third person by asking them questions directly in the third person themselves. Anyway, so what have you learned from David Gardner? Well, here's David Gardner to share that back this week. But I hope it's clear that I realized as I read through the responses that it's a pretty good summary of a lot of what I've tried to teach in a very compact and efficient format. So, if I'm doing my job right this week, you're going to be getting an info-rich, highly efficient view of how to approach investing, business, and life, but mostly investing, because that's what you tell me you're learning here on Rule Breaker Investing. So, I have a bunch of Twitter comments. I'll read out some of your names, read out what you said, and just think together around these things. At the end, I think I'm going to tell a story that happened on my birthday when I was sitting in the back seat of an Uber. And so, I'll share that at the end. But for now, let's stay focused here on investing. All right, I've lightly organized these, but mostly this is just a good-natured rule-breakery ramble. So, let's get started. First one I want to point out was Art Burke, who's at Despicable, but that's with B-U-L-L, like he's not a bear, he's a bull. He's at Despicable on Twitter. And Art said, I learned the difference between investing and trading, a very important lesson, period, end quote. And I wanted to lead off with that, because I think a lot of us, when we first approach the stock market or 
money, or in this case, we'll go with the word investing, we don't really understand the difference between investing and trading. Art, thank you very much for pointing it out. And I wanted to lead off with this one because I think too much of the world is trading. A lot of people think as soon as you buy a stock, the first thing you should be asking is, when should I sell? What's my price target? Um, and if, if it doubles, I'll sell half and, and leave the rest in. And people operate off of all kinds of short term thinking and old saws that don't even really have never made sense to me in the first place. But the word investing, as I've often pointed out before, and I know I'll be doing it for years going forward, derives from the Latin word investiri, which means to put on the clothes of. And so, as I've taken some pains on this podcast to note, my favorite visual for thinking about how to approach money and the stock market, specifically your money in the stock market, is to think about people who go to sports games, baseball, football, hockey, basketball, soccer, and they're wearing the jersey of their home team. And they're not going to take off the jersey if their team loses that game that day. Well, maybe a few will, but I wouldn't call them investors. Those are the traders. Nope, the investors are going to keep that shirt on, and they're going to leave it on probably for years. And part of the reason they're wearing that shirt is because they love the team. They probably love the stadium or their fellow fans. It's kind of a tribal thing. They love their city. So much of our sports world is kind of geographically minded. Like We're not talking about sports brands as much as we're talking about cities. That's typically how we've set up our sports leagues. They're geographically minded, but they're going to keep that jersey on. And so, too, should you be keeping that jersey on with your investment portfolio. Finding companies that you love, that you want to be identified with for years, and looking to add to them over time, not buy and then right away sell, and then try to guess where the price is going to go next or the market overall. And so, Art Burke, you got it. You learned, you've learned the difference between investing and trading. A very important lesson, as you say. And the reason it's so important is because you're going to make a lot more money, a lot more money doing the former instead of the latter. I'm sure that there are some good traders out there, but I know two things about good traders. One is, they're few and far between, and it's probably not you, it's probably not me. Now, maybe it's you, I know it's not me. That's number one. Number two, even if you're really good at trading, boy, does that take a lot of your time and attention. Part of the reason I love investing is because my money does its work for me when I don't have to do anything. I can be off pursuing my own professional career, or my hobbies, or spending time at my kids' soccer games, not trading. Thank you, Art Burke. All right, next up, this is from Peter Rogner at Peter underscore R underscore AUS underscore H. One of the more ambitious Twitter handles. Peter, I hope I got that one right, but you sure got it right when you said this. You said what you've learned from me quote, stocks always go down faster than they go up, but they always go up more than they go down. Period. End quote. You say, I love that quote, and thank you, Peter. I love that you quoted it. Verbatim. You nailed it. Sometimes when I'm trying to lock down a quote that I want people to remember, and I'll have a few others later this episode, it makes me slightly sad if they change one of the words, we kind of get it wrong. You got that exactly right. I'm going to say it again, Peter. Stocks always go down faster than they go up, but they always go up more than they go down. I think I want to say something about both halves of that. Briefly, the first part, yeah, stocks go down faster than they go up. I think we've seen that some in recent months. We've seen some bad days. Within the last couple of weeks, there was a down 3% day for the NASDAQ. You're not going to find as many up 3% days, in my experience, for the NASDAQ. And forget about one day, sometimes just a whole month, or how about fourth quarter of last year, 2018, a whole quarter 
I think my investment portfolio lost about 25% of its value in just one quarter at the end of last year. That happens a lot faster, in my experience, on the way downward. And then we have to kind of slowly creep and crawl back upward. Yes, there are some good days and good quarters, and we've had one. The first quarter of 2019 was an outstanding retracement where we kind of got back to where we'd started the fourth quarter of last year. We dipped down and came all the way back up. That's how it felt anyway. But stocks always go down faster than they go up. But that second part, they always go up more than they go down. And this is the key part of the phrase, because it's self-evident. If you just take a look at a graph of the stock market over the last century, it starts in the lower left, it goes to the upper right. That is the reality, and I predict, as I have on this podcast, that that's what's going to happen in the next century. We're going to keep creating value for each other. That's what we do through business. And then we can co-own each other's enterprises. That's what we do in the stock market. And as we continue to innovate, we continue to improve the world and find better ways to serve you and me more cheaply or more amazingly, that's the story of capitalism done well. And it ends up resulting in decades and a century of gains. So, stocks always go up more than they go down. A lot of people don't know this. I know you do, dear listener, but a lot of people don't realize that the stock market rises around 9 or 10% every year, compounded on average. Yes, there are years where it's down 29%. There are other years where it's up 45%. But take it all in all, an average gain of around 9 to 10% annualized, which is amazing. So, of course, stocks always go up more than they go down. All right, next one up is from Terry Chung, at bat underscore Terry, like battery, but with an underscore right between bat and Terry on Twitter. Terry, you're just quoting what probably is my number one legacy line, make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. I think this is pinned at the top of our at RBI podcast account on Twitter. It goes on from there, always be thinking ahead, be optimistic, think about the world that you want to create, because sure enough, your dollars and mine, our capital, is helping shape the world. I don't think we need any mini rant or any additional sermon to speak to that one. I hope it speaks in a straightforward way, and a number of you pointed to that line, Mark Fitzgerald, at MP Fitzgerald. You also said, make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. And Mark, you added that you think about that all the time, and that's how you invest. Well, I'm glad to know that that's how I invest. And I truly believe that the more people who understand that and invest that way, not only will they feel aligned where their money is leading directly toward their purpose in life and what they're trying to get done on this planet, but they're going to do a lot better as well. So, rather than take a flyer on somebody else's dodgy stock, how about putting your money right in line with the companies that, when you play it forward and think about the world 10 years from now, you're like, that's a better world. And you probably foresee growth for that company, because companies with great products and services, those tend to spread and grow and truly shape the future. So, make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. Try it. You'll like it. All right, next up, and speaking of tweets that kind of speak for themselves, and I don't have to add much more, at Kurt Elia, a frequent correspondent here in our mailbags. By the way, mailbag for this podcast coming next week. So, if you do have any further thoughts, suggestions, questions, 
Maybe you're still thinking about the future and business of sports, which I covered last week with Phil DePicciato. We've got some nice notes about that. Drop us a line. Our email address, rbi at fool.com. You can also tweet us, of course, at RBI Podcast. Next week is the mailbag. Kurt, what have you learned from me? Well, you said, quote, in order to beat the market, and then you have three bullets. The first, invest in disruptive companies since Wall Street doesn't know how to value them. Second, hold for the long term since Wall Street doesn't look much further than next quarter. And third, diversify, knowing that half will lose money, but the winning half will more than make up for it. Really a lovely recitation of probably three of our principal themes in Rule Breaker Investing, and not just Rule Breaker Investing, that runs through a lot of the Motley Fool oeuvre. Yep, that's French. I remember that. My schoolboy French. That's the work of the Motley Fool. Yeah, those three principles run through a lot of our oeuvre here at Fool.com, and always will for really good reasons, because it wins and it works. Investing, as Kurt says, in disruptive companies, because yeah, Wall Street didn't know how to value Amazon in its early days, and arguably still 10 or 20 years later, still doesn't or didn't know how to value Amazon. That's why the stock has made so much money for us. Or companies like Netflix, they're just so disruptive. Even America Online back in the day, so disruptive that people could not, Facebook could not understand what they were going to become, Google. And so these stocks are consistently viewed as overvalued, and so people don't buy them. But you and I do, and then we hold them to Kurt's point number two for the long term because Wall Street isn't going to. It's not going to look much further ahead the next quarter. And finally, as Kurt says, we diversify because while I might have a small quibble with what Kurt said, he said, knowing that half will lose money, I don't think half of your picks or mine will lose money. Half will lose to the market averages. But if we're actually finding really good companies that reflect our best vision for the future and we're spreading it out, in my experience, you're going to make money with well more than half. But sure enough, a number will lose to the market, will be wrong and lose some money. But the key here is your winners will wipe out all of the mediocrity and then more so. So it is diversifying over the long term into these disruptive companies, as Kurt has summarized, that has proved so successful for us at Motley Fool Rule Breakers. And I know for so many of you, my fellow rule breakers out there in Podcastville. And then from there, let's go next to at SpiritCat. And what have you learned from me at SpiritCat? Well, you're saying add to your winners and hold for decades, not days. So, yes, sure enough, there is that long term focus and emphasis again, which is really at the heart of success for investors, capital I, worldwide. It's always been true. It's true today. It will always be true going forward. But then you add, and indeed a number of you added, the importance of adding to your winners. And why? Well, as I was saying, the 2018 theme, the leitmotif for this podcast, why? Well, because winners win. And thank you, Ali Al-Lawati, at Ali R. Alawati on Twitter, for saying, that's what you learned from me in this podcast, winners win. Hey, what do winners do? Rick Engdahl, what do winners do? They win. That's right. It's very simple. And we're having fun with that, tongue-in-cheek, about half the time. The other half of us, though, is serious. Usually, one of the best indicators of future results is past performance. Now, that runs in direct contrast to the 
often used financial disclaimer that I'm sure all of us have heard any number of times. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. You'll very frequently hear disclaimed in various forms of financial advertising. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. And yet, as I've always taken pains to say, it's actually probably our single best indicator going forward of what to expect. The lawyers won't let financial advertisers say that, but you and I are looking for what works and what wins. And in my experience, winners win. And that's why with Spirit Cat, yep, we add to our winners. Many people do the opposite. They keep adding to their losers. The old cliche is they are trimming their flowers and watering their weeds. We're going to try to trim our weeds and water our flowers. Most of all, we're not even going to think too much about our weeds. We're going to be watering our flowers. Because when you find great companies, they shouldn't be great for just a quarter or a year. That's not great. Great companies go 5, 10, 15 year, sometimes longer runs of huge growth by adding lots of value to all their stakeholders. And you and I are going to add to those stocks as they go up over time. One of our contract writers and a friend of mine that I've gotten to know through The Motley Fool over the years, Danny Venna, as a newer investor, years ago, he made his own rule, which he shared through our discussion board community at the time. And it read a little crazy to me, and yet I admired it. He would only invest new money in a stock if it was already up 40%. And then he had some additional rule. I use the past tense. He may still be doing this. Once it went up 40% again, then he would add to it even more. And as it turns out, what was he doing? Well, he was adding to his winners, winners win. I'm pretty sure Danny's pretty happy with that approach. Now, of course, diversifying also has us not overloading into any one stock or stocks. But I hope you get the principle. In fact, I know you get the principle because so many of you replied that way when we said, What have you learned from David Gardner? All right, next up, this one, one of my favorites here. This is from Daniel Shelton at DT Shelt on Twitter. Daniel, you said, what, what did you learn from me? Quote, buy a sports car as soon as you have the money, end quote. (laughs) And uh, clearly, Daniel's one of my longer term listeners. Once or twice a year, I'll mention how early on, with some extra dollars, in part because I had a college scholarship, I chose to buy a sports car. And that was probably one of the more expensive mistakes financially that I've made in life. I actually have no regret about it. I enjoyed that sports car for several years before. Since I'm not great at maintaining cars and I'm not really a cars guy, eventually I sold it in a more decrepit form of that vehicle some six or seven years later. No real regrets, but if you do the math, you'll realize that money spent tens of thousands of dollars put into the market would have been worth a lot more today than that sports car. But I also believe in leading a balanced life or trying to have your cake and eat it too, creating a win across all aspects of your life. So I don't actually have regret around that, but I do like to mention that from time to time because in so many ways, I think it flies in the face of really better advice that you get from podcasts like Motley Fool Answers from people like Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp, who'd be the first to say, you shouldn't run right out and buy a sports car when you have the money to do it. So thank you, Daniel, for the humor. And you're right, you certainly could have learned from me, quote, buy a sports car as soon as you have the money, end quote. All right, I've saved a few of my favorites for last, and I've got my Uber story I want to tell. But first, thanks to Sprout Social for supporting Rule Breaker Investing. What makes people love the brands they love? In a word, connection. And social media is where they look for that connection. Sprout Social gives businesses a unified solution to find, engage with, and nurture their audiences through social. 
In one intuitive platform, see and respond to every message. Join the conversations happening around your brand and turn rich social data into actionable insights. More than 25,000 organizations around the globe use Sprout to create real connections. Sprout Social is the most robust and cohesive social media business solution built to create connection at scale. Sprout Software offers deep social listening and analytics, social media management, customer care, and advocacy solutions to help brands find, form, and deepen relationships with the people who love them. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com today. That's SproutSocial.com. And this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. So, you've done a ton of research on a trade, but you can't decide if you want to go through with it. Well, TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk might be the secret to figuring it all out. Just go to tdameritrade.com slash trade desk to see how they can help gut check your trades. Member SIPC. All right, and now back to the show. It's funny having read the Ameritrade ad, which I need to read verbatim because there are sometimes financial regulations about the very specific language that they need to read. Uh, it's funny that I was inveighing against trading earlier this podcast, which I certainly stand by. That said, anytime you ever want to buy a new stock or add to a winner, you are making a trade. I certainly recognize that. It's more about habits of investing that I'm talking about. But let me make it clear I'm a big fan of TD Ameritrade. All right, a few more and some favorites. Next, I want to go to Nate Outland at NT Outland on Twitter. And Nate, you just wrote, What did you learn from me? Quote, not to be afraid of buying at 52 week highs, period, close quote. Now, that does fall in line with some of what I've already presented this podcast, so I won't belabor it. But in addition to adding to winners and finding great companies that you believe in, I do like Nate's emphasis on not being afraid of buying at 52-week highs. Now, that phrase, 52-week high, especially for investors or people new to investing, you're going to see very frequently quoted the 52-week high and low for a lot of stocks. And early days for me as a kid, when I was a teenager investing, I thought I should be looking at the 52-week lows. After all, buy low, sell high, the old saw goes. But it wasn't until probably reading William O'Neill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, which, as I've said sometimes in the past, is both one of my favorite and least favorite investing books at the same time, because it has such some spectacular material and then some spectacularly off material. But at his best, what O'Neill has done and does for us is he reminds us, in fact, to look at the 52-week highs. Usually, great stocks just keep making new highs from one month or year to the next. So, once you start looking at the 52-week highs and realize that's the group of stocks, that's the pond that we should be fishing in, it really does, I think, for me anyway, improve your investing and your results. So, it is counterintuitive. Nate Adland, you get it. Sounds like you've learned it from us here. Thank you. Don't be afraid of buying at 52-week highs. And the next one, this is from my friend Matt Cochran, who writes for The Motley Fool, at Fool M. Cochran on Twitter and Matt, it was great to see you and your family visiting us some weeks ago here in Alexandria, Virginia. You wrote, what did you learn? Quote, buy companies with many possible futures or optionality. End quote. Now, here on Rule Breaker Investing, I've talked about that a fair amount in the past, that some of my favorite companies have lots of options. After all, if you start 
by selling books online, but build a platform for e-commerce where all of a sudden you could sell other things online, play it forward a decade or two, and all of a sudden you might be selling everything online, as Amazon is today, seemingly. And it all came from a platform that was initially just built to sell books. So, Amazon had many possible futures. It had, as I like to say, optionality, a lot of options by having the world's leading e-commerce platform even in its earliest days. Of course, Amazon has gone on to do some other amazing things like Amazon Web Services, which we don't need to belabor here. We'll just say that adds even more options to what Amazon can do and become, and even more tactical things these days like Amazon's new emphasis on single-day delivery. That represents just another capability that Amazon has kind of built up over time, giving the company and its founder, Jeff Bezos, so many options in terms of how to grow, but in a way that people appreciate. And I know some people probably don't like Amazon or think it should be broken up. I'm somebody who thinks that would be a real mistake. Amazon, from my standpoint as a customer anyway, every day is adding convenience to my life, I bet to yours, to so many people globally. And to me, it might be the brightest crown jewel in the American capitalism crown. So, so much of this is looking for optionality, many possible futures. In fact, Matt, you went on to quote in that tweet, and I'll just read it, quote, the best businesses are able to evolve. Why does that matter? Well, just like in biological evolution, changes in external circumstances happen, and your organization needs to both be aware of those things and be adjusting itself to be relevant and or successful and or just survive into the next era by evolving. And one of the best ways that innovative companies manage to do this is often they have a second or third trick. And we call that, again, optionality. It means you have multiple possible futures, period. End quote. Just quoting from an essay I once wrote on the comparison between biological evolution and business evolution and how you need to succeed and pass your genes on to the next generation, the most successful businesses do, just like the most successful species do. They survive, they procreate, they grow, they pass their DNA, in this case, the DNA of successful business thinking and execution on to the next generation by surviving, by being naturally selected. Thank you, Darwin. By being naturally selected by, in this case, customers who are naturally selecting that product or service, not that one, enabling those businesses to thrive. So, there's a lot of crossover in my mind between evolution in biology and evolution in business. And the most successful form of in business results in many possible futures for companies and in optionality. All right, the next one's pretty short and sweet. This one's from at Jonathan Winkler on Twitter and you wrote, market cap of a stock is more important than the price of a stock. Well, that's a reminder that every quarter we do our podcast game show. It's the market cap game show. And yes, indeed, Jonathan, the big goal is to make it clear to increasing numbers of people worldwide that learning the market cap of companies is a much more valuable thing to know than what its price per share is as a stock. Because market cap gives us the relative sizing of one company versus another, whereas the price per share of a stock, which many people confuse for thinking a big price per share means a big company and a small price per share means a small company, or sometimes even worse, they think only buy companies with penny stock low price shares because those would be potentially the most exciting ones when often the opposite is true 
I think, in practice. But the market cap of a stock is more important than the price of the stock. Thank you, Jonathan Winkler. All right, last two. The next one is from at Storm Chaos. That's chaos with a K. What have you learned from this podcast? Well, at Storm Chaos, you said buy Shopify, which has paid for my subscription for the next 50 years. And that one made me really happy to read. And of course, how can I not chuckle? Shopify, one of the better rule breaker picks, not just of the last few years, but of all time at this point. In fact, it was only February of 2016, so not much more than three years ago that the stock was at $21.02 when we picked it in rule breakers for our members. Today it's at 264. It's up about 11 times in value, which is not bad for three years of returns. I'm really happy to say one month later, we re-recommended it right away. So, that position is up 900% or so. And yes, for those who followed the advice, I sure hope that a stock like that, assuming you've invested in it, not traded it, I sure hope a stock like that will pay for many future full subscriptions. It's a reminder that if you look at our business just from our side of it, so sit in Full HQ with me for a sec. If we're doing our job right, truly our services should be paying for themselves. And if and when they do pay for themselves, that's really a wonderful business to be running. And that is, in fact, the business that my brother Tom Gardner, our CEO, is running today. Not everybody's going to make back their subscription money right away. New subscribers last fall probably weren't feeling too great a few months later when the market had caved in about 20%. But sure enough, if you're using your subscriptions over time and you do the math with me, literally every single subscription we've ever sold should more than pay for itself, which is a pretty good example of capitalistic modern magic. So I hope The Motley Fool will continue to pay for itself, whether you're finding Shopify, which is a pick from a few years ago, or a stock like Shockwave Medical, which is a more recent pick and doing pretty well for members just in the last few months. And yes, Of course, we have a bunch of losers. Any scorecard that I've ever generated, and largely it's Motley Fool Stock Advisor today and Motley Fool Rule Breakers, you're going to find a lot of stocks that are down or underperforming. That's natural for me as an investor. The way I play it up, the way I put it in the past is, we need to lose to win. We take more of a venture capital mentality to the public markets. And I know you as a Rule Breaker investing listener know that. Anyway, thank you, at Storm Chaos. I'm glad that you went in with us on Shopify. All right, and that takes me to my final one, at EB Capital. That's my friend Todd Campbell, who is also a Motley Fool personality. He's a contract writer, like a few others I've mentioned today. He's also regularly on our industry-focused podcast for the healthcare industry. So, what have you learned from me, Todd? Well, you said, quote, one of my favorite pieces of advice from him, lead a more interesting life. Todd goes on, go out in the world, try things, meet people, travel, take some risks, have fun. End quote. Thank you, Todd. I will mention that I have one podcast that I taped in the first year of the show. And my producer, Rick, and I said, hey, if I'm ever hit by a bus or we just couldn't get to the microphone that week, we're going to keep that one in the hopper. We always have one in our back pocket. And literally, we've still never used it now three and a half years later, because every single week, we've both been healthy. We've managed to make this happen, even if we're away sometimes during the summer. It's a fresh podcast every week. But if that podcast ever does get played, you'll hear it, and it's entitled Lead a More Interesting Life. Now, Todd Campbell's gotten to hear that from me, because in addition to being a Rule Breaker Investing listener, Todd is also a Motley Fool contract writer. He comes and visits Fool HQ 
once a year or so, and has probably heard me say that. And I'm not going to go through that mini-sermon right now, other than to say that the best way for you to improve your investing, and indeed your life, is to have new experiences, is to lead a more interesting life. So, say yes to an invitation, try out a new piece of technology, have a conversation that's uncomfortable, push yourself. Not only will it improve you, but I guarantee you it will improve your investing, because the more that we discover of the world around us, the smarter we're going to be. And so, leading a more interesting life, Todd, I'm glad I've made that impression on you, and perhaps one day we'll air that podcast. All right. Well, this is all my way of saying thank you to every one of you who responded with what you've learned from David Gardner. And David Gardner, to use third person for the last time this podcast, was delighted to share it all back. All right. Before I go to my closing story, I want to remind you again, mailbag next week, rbi at fool.com is the email address. I'm looking forward, as always, to sharing out your stories, questions, thoughts, sometimes your poetry, rbi mailbag next week. All right. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show I wanted to tell a short anecdote to close. So, my birthday last Thursday, I was driving from where I'd spent my day to supper that night. It was a gorgeous evening here in Washington, D.C. For those of you who know our climate, there's a little bit of, you know, the mid Atlantic in general, but especially Washington, D.C., there is a wonderful three weeks or so each year where spring is sprung and yet the heat, humidity, and the gnats aren't out yet. The Washington Nationals may be out, but I'm talking about the GNATS, which start to swarm around us like clouds through most of the summer. So, it was one of those nights last week on my birthday, and I got in my Uber. My driver had, I'm going to say it was a Russian accent, and quietly on my own, I noticed he had the windows up, but it was about 5.30, and I wanted to drink in the evening air, so I put my window down. We got started about four minutes in. He just reflexively rolled my window up. So I'm just sort of sitting there, and I'm a generally pretty non confrontational person. So in my mind, the driver wasn't comfortable or didn't want me to have my window up. He probably had air conditioning, maybe. He was thinking economically. I'm not really sure what he was thinking, other than he wasn't thinking what I was thinking and made me sad as he put my window back up. So I sort of sat there for about five minutes and stewed about it a little bit. I noticed that the air in the car was not particularly pleasant. It wasn't really air conditioning. I think he had the air going, but not the AC on. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, it looks so beautiful outside. Should I do it? I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask him if I can roll my window down. Now, I know many of you are like, of course you can roll your window down. It's Uber. They're there to serve you. It's your window temporarily while you're in his car. And yet, that's just not how I roll. I'm pretty non confrontational, but I decided I'm going to ask him directly. Hey, do you mind if I roll my window down? I asked him, and he said back to me, in so many words, thank you so much for asking me to do that. In fact, I'm getting a little sick right now, and the air in the car would not have been good for me. And what I realized from that conversation was that we were both creating together a small dystopia. He misunderstood my intentions. I misunderstood his. We both found out the Wicked Witch was dead. All hail Dorothy. We both wanted the window down. And as I told my kids later that night, it's important in life not only to let others know what you like and not make assumptions about what they're thinking, but sometimes you may be surprised that the other person was thinking exactly the same thing that you were. And yet, if I had not reached out, if I just sat there and stewed for another 25 minutes, Missing a gorgeous evening in the nation's capital, 
I would have been living in a dystopia of our own collective creation. Now, I'm sure many of my seasoned, wise, and knowledgeable listeners already knew that, so that's maybe not something that you had to learn from David Gardner, but perhaps for a few of you, I've given you a nudge. Looking forward to being with you next week. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.